Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by National Roper Supply. NRS has been providing quality Western wear and horse tack since 1989, and they are proud to be the number one Western store in the USA. From functional and fashionable Western wear and horse tack to essential livestock and horse supplies, NRS carries the products you need at prices you can afford. NRS is a one-stop shop for all things Western. NRS also carries our new line of modern cowboy brand apparel, caps, t-shirts, and hoodies, as well as the Cowboy Way protein powder. And for our listeners, use your special discount code, MODERNCOWBOY, at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand, and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer, saddle up old rock, and I sit down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and pin. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs, twenty thousand dollar horses. Then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same, the minute we ride in to the rope and pin. Hey everybody, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, I'm super excited to have my guest on today, Charles Bissett. Um, you know, we we connected like I do with a lot of my guests through social media, but uh, Charles has just got a, a unique set of uh, of skills and talents. Uh, one time, one thing, he's a nine time Muay Thai champion and was a professional cowboy. I mean, a punchy cowboy on on some big ranches. I mean, big ranches up in Canada. So. Uh, and now he now he's into acting. So this guy truly epitomizes a, a modern cowboy, uh, and is just perfect for for this podcast. So anyway, hey Charles, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Glad to be here. Hey, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know you'd sent your bio over, and I, I I read through it, and it's just super impressive. So let's just start from the beginning. You know uh, your upbringing, how you got into. Uh, uh, Muay Thai fighting and uh, and cowboying and just on from there. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I was raised in the Valhalla Mountains of British Columbia, Canada. My dad grew up on a dude ranch in Maryland, and he was on concert tour in the seventies. And he was kind of done with the city. He was living the whole life, and he wanted to get back to his roots. So he went and bought thirty-five acres up in the mountains. Nothing else is up there. And he he was married to his first or second wife at that time. And uh, didn't work out there, but he lived up there for a n- number of years. And then he came back uh, back east, and he met my mom, and brought us up there, and just raised us off grid. So I grew up with no electricity, log cab my dad built. Uh, we had a generator on and off throughout the years, uh-huh. but uh, that was it was if it was working or not, you know. Right. So it was it was pretty old school, but it, we grew up hard working. It was in the summertime working on the cabins and uh, get enough wood to keep us warm for the winter. And the winter time was just shoveling the snow because there's so much snow up there. We'd get the average five, five feet of snow. 1997, we got 21 feet of snow. So it's a huge oh, snow belt. Man. And 
it sounds like super great and romantic. And I, I love growing up that way, but I admired my mom because she was a tough woman. She was a city girl, music teacher. And then my dad would, they both had different like circuits. So my dad would teach in Idaho, Washington, and parts of Canada all in one week. It would almost be like a rodeo, right? Man. A circuit. And my mom would be doing like a more of a, a like local circuit, but still be driving three hours. And we'd get home one o'clock in the morning at the bottom of the mountain and we get on a snowmobile like a sled and we have to go like five miles up a mountain it sounds great but getting stuck in the middle of a, a snowstorm in the winter with like two little kids you know i have a lot of respect for my mom that way that's and crazy just, it's, yeah well, go ahead no and, and now your your parents your, your mom was she taught opera right yes both my parents did yeah that, and and that in and of itself is just crazy, you know. Living that lifestyle and how your and how yeah. your dad liked it, but but then they you know had that skill set of of and they, could they both sing too, obviously. Or yeah, yeah. My dad was uh, my dad was a performer. That's what he did most of his life. He was a singer, and then when he came to Canada, he wanted to get away from all that for a bit. And he was he cow he actually cowboyed at uh, Douglas like Ranch uh, back in the eighties. Was funny enough, and. Uh, he he did some of that stuff as well, but it just was easier. He knew music really well. So he yeah. got into teaching later on in life. And my yeah. parents have a pretty big age gap. They're 21 years difference. My dad's 80 now. My mom's like 58 or 50. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 58. Oh, no. no kidding. So like you know, my dad went back to uh went back to his roots, starting to teach again. But he grew up on like a dude ranch, 400 acre dude ranch. So he always wanted to get back to that. He wanted to get further out, further out. So it was it was cool. Like we had some hard winners where if you just don't like think when you go to town, if you forget like the stove's gonna go out and if you don't turn off the the water, the pipe freeze. And then you're done for the winter. We'd had we had several winters where, you know, you just make a mistake like that and you have to you're hauling water for the yeah. whole the whole winter. And we'd have times where we'd have to just fill up the bathtub and that'd be used to flush the toilet. <laughs> and we'd have to sponge bathe. So it was it was rough, but it was great, man. I loved it. I I miss living in the city now. I miss that so much. You know, we still, I, I have the property now and I go back home and why it's hard to come back to the city. Cause I'm not a city guy. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and you live in Los Angeles now, right? I do. Yeah. Well, and we'll get to that too, but so let, let's get back to, you know, you're living up there and, and I think uh, I was reading that you were 11 years old when you got into tie boxing in. Yeah. Yeah. So t yeah. Tell us how that happened. So I was homeschooled because lived in the middle of nowhere. Right. And uh, I always, you see like karate movies, kung fu movies, and you're like, oh man, I want to do this. And I'd be going to the library as a little kid, renting out like Taekwondo and kung fu books and at home studying the pictures. And I always wanted to do something, but there was nothing around. You lived in all these, like these, the one town that was closest to us was a thousand people. And then like, three hours away was another town called Trail BC. And that was like 10,000 people. And my mom taught there several days a week. So we'd be going back and forth, back and forth. And I remember like hearing about these trail fights. They'd have like these, these fights in the uh, uh, basketball uh, uh, gymnasium. Right. And I was like, okay, well, that's not really what I want to do, but maybe I'll try it out. So my mom took me in there when I was 11 and uh, I was like this big, this big kid. And my coach, he called me, he saw me and he was just like, okay, yes, sure. Sign up. So I signed up and it's not what I thought. And the first year I was just kind of getting into it. And then I came back and then I started to get a little better. And I remember the first time I sparred, I just, I thought like, okay, I'm going to try this stuff that I've been, I'm working on for all these years. And I mean, I just got lit up because it's different when you're like, you're really boxing. You know, I was like, well, okay, this doesn't work. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this. And I, I stuck with it for uh, a few years. And when I was 
14 years old, I started to be able to train with like the pros and the, all the fighters. And that was growing up in, uh, with artists and then with uh, this off grid and not, not being around a lot of people. You always wanted to be part of something. I remember like the guys walking to the gym with the, like the fight track suits. And we were like, oh man, there's the fighters, there's the fighters. Right. And you know, always had this mystique about them. And I always wanted to secretly do it, but I didn't think I could ever do it. And when I started to spar with them, the first day I went, it was a rough gym. I got lit up. I got lit up so bad. With the, and I, I remember leaving and I had like, it was awful, these long bangs. And I was kind of like, like leaving with my head down and I was not going to let anybody see me cry, but I was like holding in tears. Right. And they're all like, this, this kid ain't coming back. No way. And I came back and I got like my ass kicked for a year. And then when I was 15, I was holding my own, still getting my butt kicked. And I ended up having my first, my first fight in Lethbridge, Alberta. Like we, we were in the middle of nowhere. So we'd have to drive six hours to get a fight. And we, we drove six hours and fought in this little nightclub and uh, I got my first win. And then I remember after that, I was just like, I'm just gonna have one fight. I just want to see what it's like. This one fight. And then I was like, okay, one more. But after my first fight, I was walking around 175 and I would cut 10 pounds to fight at 165. There's no other kid. So after my first fight, everybody thought it was 20 to 30 years old. And I was knocking out grown men. You know, it was crazy. It was, it was, it was rough. But Glenn, he, I give all credit to my very first coach, Pride Gym. And I'm like a Pride Gym guy right. till the day I die. Like he made us men right away. And he made sure we were like ready. He was, uh, I owe that, I owe him, I owe, I owe him everything, you know, as far as my fight career and just shaping me to be tough. He made yeah. us tough. Well, you know, um, you know, I say this lightly. I trained a little bit of Muay Thai like back in the day. And the first time I ever, oh, nice. I, the first time I ever sparred, I got in the ring with this guy. I was like 30 and, and this guy was mm -hmm. in his 40s. And to me, he looked like he was, you know, 800 nothing, ah, oh, whatever. And I got kicked in the ribs and yep. it dropped me so hard and so fast. And I was sucking wind so bad and I just never got back in. Yeah, so, you know, so Muay Thai, it's a different type of fighting. And uh, is it is a type? I mean, the Muay Thai you do, it's the same typical type of Muay Thai that they do in Thailand or is it yep. a little bit different? It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It depends. Every everywhere is a bit different. Like it's it's the same same rules and all that. But like right. when I grew up in Canada, there was no shanks and body. So it was very Western. It's like you want to fight. OK, good. You know, no pads. We I had one fight with like an exhibition with shin guards and headgear. Like kids down here, they they have to fight with shin guards and headgear for the first like five, four, four fights or something like that. Right. And which is cool, but I don't know. I think the way I came up it made you a little tougher. Right. And you know, I'm not a sanctioned body, so I like whatever they're doing, that's is fine. But they still do it a little bit like that Canada. It's more control. The sanctioned bodies are kind of they kind of watered down a bit. Right. And uh but it's it's all right. But it is a little different. Like when you when you go to pro level, you're obviously dropping elbows and no elbow pads. Right. Uh, it's different. There's like amateur, which is headgear, shin guards, and then there's semi-pro, which they just put on little elbow pads. But it's all full rules. You just can't do twelve to six elbow, and you can't need the face in the states in right. in in California. But in Canada, you can still need the face. Interesting. And, you know, the thing is, like, because uh, I'm just a huge fan of, of mixed martial arts and, and all all the, the fighting, um, you know, uh, combat sports and stuff in, in like the UFC and, and MMA. You, you see that. I mean, the leg kicks, which those they come from Muay Thai, correct? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The well, and then there's like there's MMA low kicks, and then there's like one of the guy, one of the guys when I when I came down here to California to train in the gym, the pride gym where I came up, we had this guy we all looked up to. His name was Rob Common, and he was the first Dutchman to ever go to Holland. I mean, to to uh, Thailand, sorry, uh-huh. and fight the ties. And he was a killer. And I came down here, and I was bouncing, being a bouncer at a bar, and I saw <laughs> Rob on the street. He was walking down, and I was just like. Oh, you don't know, you don't know. And I was like, oh man, you're like a hero to all of us back in Canada. And he's like, oh, ha, ha. you know, he's just like kind of laughing. He's Rob's crazy. Right. And uh, years later, we saw each other. It was right after I won a North American, my first title, my North American title. And he came into the gym and I was just like, oh man, I, I want to get some guys together. Like, and, and we can just pay you some money and you can like start to train us. And he's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, let me know, call me. And I got all these guys together and everybody slicked. So I hit him up and say, hey man, sorry to waste your time. You know, everybody flaked on me. And he's like, well, just come. I'm training somebody, so come and we'll see what happens. So I came in and I trained. And he was like, come back tomorrow. Never charged me anything. He's like, come back tomorrow. And he would always, Rob's a gypsy, so he'd be all over the place. But whenever he was there, he would train me for hours. And he trained me, this was for years it went on. And he became my mentor for four years. No and we're still, we're still really good friends. He's, But he is like Muhammad Ali at kickboxing. He like beats some of the greats, like, Ernesto, who's K1 legend, he beat Ernesto. He, he just, he's just one of the greatest. He's like a nine-time world champion. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be under his wing for four, four years. Yeah. And so what's, what's interesting is here you, you just you want to get involved in sports, but there weren't very many sports around you know, your area, so you get involved in, in uh, Thai boxing. And now, uh, you know, so many years later, you, you, so you, you, you actually have nine, time, nine titles. World I have nine titles, yeah. Nine yeah. titles, and I have, I'm a two-time world champion, but I have nine titles, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then, um, in in what way? This is one thing that always gets me too, because you know, of all the boxing and all the mixed martial arts and everything I've watched, when you see the tail of the tapes, and they're and they're saying, you know, what weight classes, whether it's you know, bantam, feather, light, uh, you know, middle, light, heavy, whatever. Uh, you you fight at cruiserweight, cruiserweight, super cruiserweight. Okay, yeah. and, and 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 explain those two because I still don't even know you know what the weights are for it's, until until depends, I look at them. It's crazy because it depends where you go. Like things change by states as well, uh-huh. which is it's wild. But uh, uh, cruiserweight is one eighty five to okay. two hundred, and it's okay. kind of like a decided weight on that, which is bizarre. But one eighty five, one ninety is like the popular spot to fight. Okay, two hundred. That's just the kind of an awkward spot in a way. But that's what I feel most comfortable train uh, fighting at because. A lot of my career, I just made a lot of promoters happy, and I was very like uh, accommodating. Right. And I would be cutting extreme amounts of weight, and I still won a lot of my fights. Right. But I was sacrificing a lot. I like I never. I was always professional. I always made weight. Right. And I would kill myself, and part of that fight would be left like in in the tub or in the sauna, like in the sweatsuit. It was just, it was not good. But now I'm fighting at a healthier weight, where I'm I'm still cutting, but not not killing myself. And, uh, like I, I'm always surrounding myself with greats. Like one of, one of my really good friends, we used to be sparring partners was rich Franklin is three time UFC champion. Oh yeah. 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 And he's like one of the best people that I've, one of the best men I've known that as a role model, he's just a good man. He's just a, right. somebody you'd want to be like. Right. And, uh, we, we've spoken recently about it and he's just like, man, I've, I, I, I wouldn't recommend doing the extreme cut anymore. It's just, we both agreed how much we lose, how much you just feel depleted. Like after like two rounds, you're, you're this, you're, you're not the same. 
Uh, yeah. After like two rounds, you like you know I you, I would still win a lot of those fights at one eighty five or one ninety, but you just uh, I I you you work you work so hard for however long your fight camp is, and you treat your body like it's a temple, and you're slowly depleting it because you have to restrict the calories so much. And then fight week, you're like you're in a starvation camp and you're sweating and you're killing yourself, and it's all for nothing pretty much. Yeah. You know you're you it's hard to recover from that. And yeah. the guys that can recover from that, like, good, good on you. But it's it's uh it's it's tough. Yeah, um, that, that's interesting. Yeah, Rich Franklin. What and wasn't he a a, a math teacher or a he teacher? Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I remember you know following his career. I mean, because he was in the early days, um, yep. in, in UFC, and uh, always just always loved watching the guy fight. Just seemed like kind of like the the all American, uh, you know. He yeah he's, representative. he's he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He uh. I remember I met him. This is the kind of guy he is because when you're when you're a star like Riches, right? People, you have like uh, uh, a, a target on you almost. People right. want to prove something. You go in there and people want to prove something. The gym. I remember I was getting ready for a pretty big fight and I saw him at Starbucks. Right. And I went up and was like, "Oh man, such a such a pleasure to meet. Like you know, big fan of yours." And we're, we were having a talk, and I was like, "Yeah, I fight, and I have this big fight coming up. Would you want to like? I'm very respectful. Would you want to give me some rounds?" And he was just like. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right. And he, uh, he came to the gym and we, we, we were respectable. We, we both went at it in a good, in a very respectful way, but we pushed each other hard for eight rounds. And we both were bros right, right there. No and kidding. We just, but he, here's the thing too. He was 39 and he just treats his body so well. He doesn't like, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's really, he is on it. He, his gas tank, he is one, the best gas tank for somebody my size that I've ever sparred with. No kidding. Like first, first four rounds were mine, and the last four were his. Because he just he has this pace, and he doesn't stop for eight rounds. We were just yeah, it was he was he was an animal. He that's, was great. That's crazy, crazy. Now, um, how long have you been living in L.A.? Ten years, a little oh. uh, probably eleven years, eleven years. Yeah. No kidding. Well, how old are you now? I'm thirty four. Okay, I, I was thinking you were in your late twenties for some reason, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that, that's so cool, but you know, you know, it's interesting. I've talked about it on the podcast a lot before, uh, too. Is you know, my 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 favorite sport to watch is you know, uh, combat sports. You know, they're just oh, you know that and bull riding are my two favorite. You know, um, yeah. And uh, but what's what's so what's so interesting about you is you know how you how you were raised, where you were raised, and then what what I want to talk about now is your years uh, working as a cowboy on ranches, and and tell me. You know, just tell us how you, how you got started in that and, and, and about the ranches you were on and, and go from yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. So as a kid, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Right. I was very confused, but I always loved cowboy. And I would, we had like 15 horses growing up and every day I would just ride. Like when I was done doing my work, I would ride like five horses a day, an afternoon. I would, that was my pleasure. And I would just fantasize or like, you know, daydream when I was doing it. And, uh, I, I asked my dad, I was like, wow, can, do people still actually do this? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a farrier or I'm going to I'm gonna be a horse trainer. He's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And he wanted to, he wanted me to do that because live out his dream through me, right? Right, right. So he was always very encouraging. He worked at Douglas Lake Ranch when he was younger. And uh, that's a very big ranch in Canada. Right. Uh, so I got to be a certain age. I was 15 and I went to the Canadian Farrier School. I got certified to be a farrier. 
No so I started doing that in the summer times and I was like doing that. Then I was working forestry and tree planting and I was always a hard worker. Right. And then when I was almost 17, my mom and I were in a pretty wicked car accident. And it was, it was a, one of those, it was a bad, it was deadly. I was thrown out of the car, nearly crushed. Like mom, her arm was shattered, wrist mm. was shattered. And it was gnarly. We we're both in the hospital for a little while. And we then had to move off the mountain because we were both on the way up to feed the horses and we hit black ice. And it just was where we couldn't make it up the snowmobile. Right. So I had to move into a town for the first time in 17 years. And it was kind of like moving an animal off, like off the wild and put right. it in a zoo. And I just, I felt like I was losing it. Right. So I had, a, I, I was just done. I was like, I don't know about fighting right now. I want to go and pursue cowboy. So I had made a contact when I went to the Canadian Farrier School and I went up to the Northwest Territories, the Canadian side, right by Alaska. And I worked as a wrangler for the summer for a hunting outfit. And uh, it was a, it was a pretty big uh, experience because you know, first time away from home, you're homesick and all that. But right. first day of work was like 19 hours. Second day was a three day ride to get into the camp. First day was 19 hours. Second day was 17. Third day was 15 hours. And this place, like, I'm not going to say, but they, they definitely weren't, they didn't look after the the workers. They, they were like, your bedroll's too big. We, we got to take another bedroll. They, they packed like a child's like Dalmatian cotton sleeping bag for me by mistake. It was all a mistake. <laughs> but I remember I was just like, when I got there, we were all soaking wet. And me and the three other like uh, uh, wranglers, we had a we had a tarp, we had a huddle together for like four or five hours of sleep, and we just shivered the whole night. It was and that was oh pretty much God. the whole experience up there. It was bad experience. Like we were we were worked pretty hard, and uh, it was seventy five dollars a day. You know, <laughs> it was it was wild. But I remember back then I was like, man, we're rich. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. great. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, I think it was the best. So when I got done doing that job up there, I came back and I I called my horseshoe instructor. Uh, and I asked, I was like, Hey, do you know anybody that's like looking for a cowboy? I want to be a, like a cowboy. Right. You know, I'm done doing like, that was cool and everything. I'll probably do the next summer, but I, I want to get into that. So he was like, yeah, I'll make a call. So he called and he called uh, a guy that took his course and he said, yeah, we're looking for, for cowboys right now. It was a, it was a feedlot. So I went down there, but it was, it was Corvan Ray's feedlot it's outside of uh Pitcher Butte, this little tiny, tiny town in Alberta. And I went down there and each feedlot, he had four feedlots, you know, within a couple mile radius. And each feedlot held 25,000 head of cattle. Huge, Man. huge feedlot. And I was a hard worker, but I didn't know anything about cattle. Right. So, you know, total mountain kid, but I had no, I didn't know that uh, any, any of the stuff you have to know about cattle. So I had to learn on the job. And right. it was stressful because I didn't know what a sick cow looked like. Right. I didn't know how to treat a foot rot in, how to treat pneumonia. I didn't know anything about that. So it was super stressful. And feedlots, I didn't know this, but at least this feedlot was like, uh, it mostly hired a, hired a lot of like rough, roughneck people or ex-cons. Like it was a right. rough place. It's not like a nice cattle ranch. Right. It was rough, man. Right. So I worked there for about a year, but it was really, really good because I learned so much. And, uh, it was, just, it was, it was a rough job, but it was, it was, it was good. It had its place. Right. So I did that for about a year and then I was done. I was looking, looking, and I found this, this, uh, this ranch that was looking for, uh, a colt rider. And when I was working at the feedlot, I was riding colt for people for free just so I could learn. I'd be like, Hey man, like you, you're right. You're, you're, you start colts. Can I, can I, can I, you know, ride them for you and you can just teach me. So these guys would teach me because I grew up like trail riding. Right. I was not a, I was not like a working cowboy and I had to learn. 
Right. So every time I got, I was just riding culture. I was doing this. I was going roping with these guys. I was trying to, this is college me. Right. So I called up this place. It was called, uh, it was named Roger Parsonage. He was an old school guy up in Saskatchewan, Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. And he gave me a job to ride Colts. So I went down to his ranch. It was like, I would say his ranch was maybe 4,500 acres, 3,000 acres. Yeah. And he had 500 cows, and but he had 100 horses. And uh, I was just riding 10 Colts a day. And it yeah. was, it was, and he was old school. And his son, his, like they both, his son was a great horseman. His son was a, was a horse trainer too. And he just bought a ranch right by his dad's place. So I'd go up there and I'd get to learn from him. And it was it was cool. They were just getting a, a bunch of colts ready for their fall sale. Yeah. And it was just every day I'd be I'd be getting planted every day. <laughs> you know, I'd be getting bucked <laughs> off every day, man. But it was it was great. It was uh it was hard work and it was it was great. You know, and I, I got to do the brandings and it was smaller ranch work, but it was so educational. And I was there for I was there for a good minute, like I would say eight months, and I right. broke my wrist, got bucked oh. off, I broke my wrist and I oh. couldn't couldn't do anything. That's so why I took had to had to take off after the, the sale because, you know, they were they're willing to keep me on. But at that point, I was just like, man, I'm just taking their money because I couldn't really do much with my wrist. Right. So I went home and I was trying to. I was just healing up for about six, seven weeks, and I was planning to go back because that was a seasonal job, anyways. Right. Right. And I was going to plan to go back, but I was like, you know what? I think in my head, I was like, I think I'm at that spot where I can I can hit up like one of the bigger ranches. So I hit up Douglas Lake Ranch. There's like there's three really big ranches: there's Douglas Lake. The gang ranch and uh and uh, nicola and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna hit up douglas lake and it's a half million acre ranch outside of merritt bc and it's it's where like really good hands go so i hit them up sent my resume i wouldn't expect anything and i got an interview over the phone and then i got the job and i was like man this is great so i went up there and i was i was nervous because i was like well we'll see if i get fired because cowboy is very it's like everyone thinks like oh yeah it's like you know very relaxed and all this and it's like this died in your watch, you're getting fired if that happens again. It's very intense. Right. You know, or if, right. if you F if you F up, like it's you know, it's your job. It's always your job that's gonna be on the line. Right. So I got up there and it was it was like there was levels to this. And I it was just going to like college there. Right. It was it was crazy. So I went there in February and I was there for almost a year, but I went there right when cabin started. And their cabin operation was insane, man. You know, like they'd have thousands of cows out in the pasture where cowboys would go ride those and they were usually okay but the heifers they had three thousand or thirty five hundred heifers in a feedlot that cowboys be riding 24 7 so you just randomly get your shift it'd be like a week shift and usually it'd be a bunch the morning shift was 10 hours night shift was 14 hours so it doesn't matter you get paid the same like we pay with there was 1300 a month room and board and uh <laughs> It was it's wild, but like it doesn't matter if it was fourteen or thirty or ten hours. It was always the same pay. So right. you just pretty much you you get what you got, and you're like okay. But you'd be riding, and then you see something that's having trouble calving. You just kind of keep an eye on it, and then you're like okay, that needs to get pulled. So you'd run it through a chute, bring it to the barn, run it through the chute, go up there, film like okay, this needs to be pulled. Go up there, put a chain on, put a chain on, uh, put a hook on, and then you pull the shoulder. Other guy pulled the shoulder. And then you pull it out together, right? right Once you right. get it, you kind of put it upside down, put some straw in nose, make it cough a bit, and then you get claustrum and uh, you get a hose and you put it down, put it down into their stomach, not in their throat because you drown them. Right. And you just give them that extra bit of life. You take them into the into the the shop and you weigh it, and then you just write down how much it weighed, what time it was born. You put it in a pen, 
and then you put the mom in there with it. Now, right. if it was upside down, then you have to do a C-section. And like I assisted on, like they were just, man, that's what I'm saying. Like these guys could all do C-sections. <laughs> it was, yeah. they were just, they were like masters, yeah. masters at the trade. So that was like calving season. And then, you know, we'd have turnout and you just do, you ride, you ride the fences, make sure it was good. But it was just like long days, long days. And then bring back in for, uh, for calving. I mean, not for calving, for, uh, for, uh, branding. And that was fun. It was just a, a month long every day is roping, wrestling calves. And the thing there too, one, one thing that I'm proud about, because again, like all these guys were raised on ranches right? and there's a few of us that came from like, you know, a farm or like a, an acreage with right. horses and stuff, but you have to prove yourself and you have to be like, okay, I'm going to learn fast. But I, I was like 19 then or something like that. And I remember everybody be like, man, that, that Charles, he can work. He can work. Cause I was just like, okay, if I have to like, if I have to catch up to everybody, right. nobody is going to outwork me. Right. So I was, <laughs> I was at, at branding time. There'd be, you know, they do the, have you ever been to branding where they have the forks? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they'd have the forks and we were just introducing that because before that was all wrestling. And I was used to being like cat, like the wrestler on the ground. Right. Right. And there was three, there was two or three forks. I was running two of the forks or three of the forks. And then I was wrestling one. So I'd have like one whole side to myself and I would just be running, running and everybody like, man, this kid's got stamina. So I made myself like super valuable. So then after that summertime is turnout and you're just riding, pushing cows, making sure they're not overgrazing and make sure there's not any sick cows and whatnot. And the summertime is roundup and that's, it's the four seasons and they go around. But that was a, it was a really cool experience and it was, it's intense. Like cowboy, yeah. everybody like it's it's freaking it's intense work. But I remember one night when I was riding on a night shift, I'd always was thinking about acting. And if you go grow up like the way we kind of grow up, you know, if you go to your pal and be like, "Hey, man, you know, I'm thinking I want to be an actor." Everyone's gonna right. laugh at you. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Like right. it's not really it's not the thing we say to another person right? right it's most people that kind of laugh at you or something like that but like yeah good luck right right but i remember i was i was riding night shift and i was like i'd always just talk to my horse and i'd be like man you know what like this is great i'm probably gonna do this for my life my life and everything but i'm gonna i'm gonna go to la and maybe like try act man you know this is for six months and i i said i gotta i gotta go to california i got a cowboy first i gotta work on a ranch there then do that and i'll probably go to australia do it there too right, right. so i ended up i ended up leaving douglas lake Right. I got a job in California to uh, to start some Colts. I went to a little place called Los Banos. Oh yeah, and I still yeah yeah I and know I, Los just, Banos yeah yeah I was, I was only there for six weeks to start a few Colts and it was cool and that was done. I was like, hey, do you guys know where uh, uh, any ranches are hiring? So they said, yeah, there's a place. Uh, we'll make a call. And it's a thirty five thousand acre ranch called uh, Fort Baker. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're like, it's real big. I'm like, oh man, it's tiny compared to Douglas Lake. But I was like, yeah, sure. So I went up there. <laughs> And I met the boss, and he was a great guy. His name is John Rice, and he's still still cowboy right now. He's like eighty, yeah, still out there riding every day, still doing the thing. And I went up there, and it was really cool. But I it felt uh, it felt good because uh, I was still I'm always wanting to learn. Right. But I went from working for about a year on Douglas Lake Ranch to going to this place, and I was left by myself. And it was harder in a way, but it was a lot easier, really. Right. But I was kind of given the reins. They're like, "All right, you you uh, you know what you're doing." you're going to take care of this, this side of the ranch and ride all these cows. So I felt like, you know, like, okay, I'm actually, I know what I'm doing. Right. I proved myself. I can do this. So I'd just be out there looking, looking for sick cows, making sure they're not overgrazing. It was, it was a lot chiller because uh, California, 
like there was no calving barns. The calving was so easy. Right. It wasn't as intense like that. And you just, it was, it was fun. You get to ride the land. It was, uh, it wasn't as intense. And, uh, I get the whole season was the same, you know, the seasons don't really change as far as, yeah. you know, calving branding and all that, but it was, it was a cool experience. But again, if one thing, if I were to go back and do that, which lockdown, I called them. I was like, Hey man, you guys got a job. I want to do something, you know, right. Uh, they didn't have, didn't have a job. And I was like, really, that would have been a lot of fun to go back in cowboy after all this time. Right. But to go in cowboy up there, man, it's just least to have a dog. Yeah. Because up there, it's so steep yeah. in Northern California. Oh yeah. You just, you play your horse right out. And some of the cows, it was, it was like, you know, they get in some of those bushes and it's, it's if you're by yourself, it's tough. Yeah. I remember, thank God nobody's around, but I remember some, some of those days by myself, I would just be like cussing out those cows. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a crazy person, but it was, it was fun. Really nothing but great numbers there. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've seen some pictures, uh, you know, of you and, and I, so I don't know how, how long ago they were, but just some of them where you're, you know, where you're geared up, you know, and tacked up. And, and I, I saw one post picture where you, you posted, Hey, I, I pulled my rig out again. Did you get like really into the, uh, the, uh, you know, just the culture of like, you know, your saddle's got to be just right. You know, the kind of rope, you know, the stirrups you ride, uh, you know, your bridle, what, whatever. Did, did you like geek well, out on that too? Or, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It kind of relates to like, uh, when, when I was at Douglas Lake, there'd be this divide. There'd be like the regular Cowboys and then it'd be the buckaroos, right? right? right. They'd all be wearing the flat hats and I was right. never going to wear a flat hat, you know, I right, just wouldn't right. do it. Right. And I didn't like back then I had a roping saddle that I was riding on. So I did not fit in. Right. And I finally, when I left, there was this, there's a saddle maker named Don Lowe and that's the saddle I have now. Uh, that's just, it's such a great cowboy saddle. It's a slick fork, right. uh, wade tree. But I just, uh, I like using that for my, for my office as far as riding, right. but I'm not going to geek out on everything else. This is kind of like, I kind of steal things from here and there, whatever works best for me. Right. Right. But the, like my, my team roping saddle was a sore me up so much doing long all day on there, you know? Right. So, you know, and just, and you need something that's not going to sore because if you sore up a horse too much, exactly. you're going to lose your job. You lose yeah. your job. So I just got something that, that I'll have that saddle for the day I die. You know, yeah. it's, it was $5,000 saddle that I'll have forever. Yeah. You yeah. know? Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, and how about roping? Did you, did you just, did you ever get into team roping at all or, or, or did you, you just know, mostly ranch rope? I would, I, I would go team roping with, here's the thing. I did not have a driver's license until I was about 20 years old. Oh, really? So, okay. which was a blessing because, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I really, it was lonely out there. So when I first went out there, like I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. I'd be like by myself when I was at right. feedlots. Right. So that's why I'd be like, Hey man, you guys want me to ride a horse? Cause I was like, Hey, can I come? You know? Yeah. Cause I would be, you know, I had my own house out there when I was, uh, uh, on the feedlot. But, uh, uh, so when they'd have roping days, you know, when they go team roping, I'd get to go team roping then. So I learned from those guys how to team rope. Right. But I was never like, I didn't have a team roping course at that time. So I ended up this, I learned team roping from going with those guys, but I was never like actively going. And then I just start ranch roping. It was just like for doctoring and stuff. But my, my horse, I got back home, like I cowboyed her a whole bunch. Like I can still just go back and doctor. So if everything needs to be doctored, I can just doctor. Yeah. Very cool. So, so how, how long or when did you, when did you stop? How many years did you do that? Were you working as a cowboy? I was cowboying, I was cowboying for just under six years. Okay. Yeah. And, and then at that point, did you just make a decision that you, is that when you moved to Hollywood? In, in... Yeah. I remember, I remember I worked for, I worked for like two or three 
four months straight with no days off. So right. I could have a week off straight. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go, you know, I took the Greyhound up to, uh, to haul to, to, to LA, which I don't recommend anybody because a bunch of ex-cons right. got on with us. <laughs> right. Like I was like, what, what's going on? Right. <laughs> so I went up to, to uh, LA and I uh, just checked it out. And I, it was this good luck. I met some nice people on the Greyhound. They're like, yeah, you're going to be up here, man. Oh yeah. Come, come hang out with us for the week. And they just kind of showed me around and, uh, this, you meet nice people along the way. I remember this one dude, uh, I met him in a hostel. He's like, yeah, dude, you come out here, you can crash on my couch for a few months. And, you know, some people might get murdered doing that. Right, <laughs> but uh, right, I, right. I did it. I took right. him up on it. He let me crash with him for a few months. And I met another girl that I crashed with for like another few months. Then I found this great deal on the Venice Canals. And I lived there for like five and a half years. So nope. some of these things just, just it really worked out, you know? That's and now, now I live in Hollywood, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and then during that time, you you continued fighting, or you you started fighting again? I I started fighting again. I remember uh, I got back into it, and I was just like, I'm just going to do one more. I'm just going to do one more. I have to prove to myself I I still got it, right? And I can do it. And uh, and how how, was, old, how old were you then? I was 23. Okay, I was 23. Okay, and uh, I I had a really not the best situation for training. I had uh, this dude that I was training with. He was he was a good trainer, but being down here as well like you realize how much my first very first coach was so invested into us and he really gave us a lot right this this guy like a uh, good guy i'm not going to mention everything but he didn't show up to my fight oh to corner me and i was just kind of going through him like all right i got this i got this and i remember the guy i fought like him and his whole team and they they pretty much signed me up as an independent fighter which means you don't have a coach you know so right. pretty much everybody thought i was gonna get my ass kicked Right. And it was it was cute. I remember my my uncle came down to see me and he I was like, bring down the kilt. I'm going to wear the family kilt out. So I put <laughs> on the kilt and this is in California. Everybody's nice. like, yeah, this, guy's, this guy's wearing a dress, you know. Yeah. So I remember I, I, everything went wrong. Like I walked out to the to the, the ring and they didn't put my entrance music on music on. And then this guy comes out. He's freaking huge. They put on his music and everybody's going nuts. And I was like, OK, well, here we go. And I remember this one guy I saw in the in the back, I was like, man, I remember you fought in Canada. He's like, yeah. I was like, can you can you wrap my hands? This guy doesn't have to. He's like, sure. And everybody pretty much thought I was going to get killed, right? Right, right? Because I was it was such a shit show for me at right, the fight. Right. And then <laughs> I ended up this I ended up knocking a guy out. They took him out in a stretcher. Like, oh no shit. Yeah. So then everybody was like, the whole. I remember when I knocked him out, the place went nuts, and everybody else was like, okay, you know, this this guy this guy's okay. He can he can kind of do it, you know. So. Then after that, I just kept on fighting, fighting, fighting. Then I started fighting all over the country, and then uh, I turned pro. And yeah, but I've gotten to train with so many good guys down here. I've gotten to learn a lot, so yeah. I've been very fortunate. There's, I've gotten to really train with some awesome legends and just pick up a lot of really cool things. Yeah, I got, I, I got to go backwards just for a second. When you were on that oh, one, yeah. uh, one ranch when you were up there, and you said they they, they hired a lot of uh rough guys did you ever did you ever have to uh mix it up with anybody anybody ever give any shit and you have to use your, almost, your skills i almost had to get into a, a like my 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 first foreman right there was the there was i was at the east what was that was that there was the west lot i was at the north lot there's like four lots right so i was at the north lot and the guy i was working for uh he uh i was riding colts from all the time for free right. and he right. was getting paid for it and I was at one point I was exhausted. I was I worked the way you'd work on a feedlot is you get you'd work nine days on right. and you get three days off. And I was I had nothing else to do. 
Right. So I would literally work every day. I, I worked like three months straight. And then after working like a nine hour day, I'd go to his place and ride Colts for him because I was just had nothing else to do. I'm like, well, I'll make money and I'll just keep busy. Right. I'll, I'll pick up some skills. And it was, he was a rough dude, man. He was a rough dude. Like I was staying at him and his, like I would go when I would ride Colts for him, it'd be the other side of town and I have to stay at his trailer with him. And it was just like a rough situation. Not very, not the nicest place. Yeah. And I remember I was just burnt out. I was like, man, like I need, I need these next three days by myself. And right. I took three days, my, my three days off. And after that, it was like cutthroat. He, he hated me after that. And I sticked her, I, I stuck it out there for another two months. But at the end there, it was there. We had like, we had to go around. I was 17 years old. Right. And, uh, I was super well-mannered kid, but right. I, it got to that point where I, it was, it was at the coffee break room and I was just like, all right, mother, you know, right. We're going right. to, we got business. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it got really, and he's like, you know, he's like a buck 40 and I was like a big kid. It, but I took so much, so much. And I was just like, dude, I'm done. You can find me right now, but let's do this. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he shrunk real fast, but, uh, <laughs> he I just, remember he didn't want any of it. No, he didn't want any of it. Like it, yeah. it got to that point, but he, he pushed me hard and I was a super like, you know, well, I was like, I was a kid at that time, but like always very respectful of my elders. And also you work for the boss. Right. And he was the boss, but it finally got to this point. Like, this is not a boss. This is, this is like, yeah. this is bullshit, you know? Right. So right. I remember the, the owner, his name is Corvan, right? He came in and he says, what's going on? He's from, I think he was from Holland. He's like, what's, what's, what's happening? And like before this, the, he was saying, you're like the best worker. And I was like, I told him the whole situation. He's like, all right, we'll move you to the West lot. So we moved me to another lot and it was fine. It was yeah. good. But that was, that's what I almost happened there, but it was a rough spot, man. Like, yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Like every, yeah, it was, yeah. You, I'm sure you've heard about feed lots, a lot, a lot of oh, stuff yeah. on there. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's like the oil rig, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That, that, you know, what's interesting too is, is you grew up, uh, is that, is it the Valhalla mountain? Is that where you grew yeah. up? It's a mountain range. It's a mountain, mountain range. range. It's a whole bunch, whole bunch of mountains. Yeah. Okay. Which is, you know, from, is it Greek mythology, I think, or? It's uh, a North Norseman, Norseman. Nordsman. Okay. Nordsman. Okay. And then did Nordsmans wear kilt too? Are they Irish? Am I? Am no, I... they're, they're Vikings. They're Vikings. Vikings. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. Which is, which is so badass because they were warriors and you come right yep. off, oh, you yeah. come right off the, right off the warrior mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so, so you, you know, you, you start fighting when you're young, you know, you, you work as a cowboy, you, you get back into fighting, you move to Hollywood. Now you're doing acting. Mm -hmm. So something that you would used to talk to your horse about. Uh, yeah. That you wanted yeah. To do. So uh, how, what did you do to get started in that? And what was the first, first thing you did? Well, I got, I, again, I knew nothing about acting. So my mom had a few friends that, uh, got into it and they were like, you know, doing some stuff. So I just spoke to them. They got me into an acting class. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go down here. I'm not going to audition for a while. I just need to learn how to act. Right. So I got into class and I was in there for a good year. Then I started to audition. I started to do short films and I started mm -hmm. to just kind of build a reel so you can do that. Right. And then after mm -hmm. a while I got an agent and then I started to go out for some better auditions. And I remember the first thing I booked was in 2012 and I, it was 2012, I believe. Yeah. It was a, a Super Bowl commercial for Budweiser. No kidding. And uh, it was uh, directed by Ridley Scott. And I was like, oh, man, this is cool. Okay. And uh, it just, you know, it was it was awesome. It was my first, like, real paid job. Right. And uh, it is kind of piggybacked. I, I booked, like, three nationals back-to-back. -back. And you can pay, you know, like, that was the most money at that time that I've ever made. 
Really? It was, uh, oh, like, you know, they keep playing. You're lucky. If they keep playing, you're, you're doing good. And they were, they were paying better than like a few years ago. The commercials right. aren't paying as well right now. Right. But uh, it was, it was really nice money. It was the most money I ever made that, yeah. at the, until that time. Right. And next few years after that, you'd go like, you know, have a good year, then a little bit of a quiet year, better year, quiet. But it was, it was great. You know, the money with commercials was, was awesome. Right. And then 2014 was it or 2014 or 15 or I can't remember. I, uh, I, I booked a, a little indie film and I got to work with uh, Chris Christopherson. Oh, very cool. Yeah, which was awesome. And it was just like, it was, it was a, it wasn't a huge role, but I got to do four scenes, got to work with Chris and a couple other cool guys. Bo Bridges was in it. Oh yeah. 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 Chris was just really cool. It was, it's, it's, it's a funny story because uh, I have another friend who was just like, Oh, you, you booked that film. I was like, yeah, man. He's like, dude, like I had to introduce you to Chris's son. He's like one of my best friends. So I, uh, I got to meet Chris's son right before like uh, the day that I booked it went to my buddy's birthday party. We're like, yeah. And I saw him on set and he introduced me as dad. So then his dad, Chris was a total gentleman and was really, really kind to me and told me a lot of cool stories and whatnot. And now, you know, I'm very good friends with his son, which is, he's this, you know, really good friend of mine. That's so awesome. it's funny how it all works together that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Chris Christopherson, he's a legend. No, oh, he's, yeah, he's uh, one. He, yeah. He's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's, cr- that's crazy. So, yeah. um, and, and then, and so you started, you did a few, a few short films. Is that what you said or? Yeah, I did a few short films, did a few indies. I just, uh, I can't really talk too much about it, but I just booked an a indie western. So I'm not, yeah, indie western. I'm going to start shooting, I think, in uh, December. Very cool. So that, that, should be, that should be pretty fun, yeah. But I can't really talk too much about that, but I just, just booked it, yeah. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Well, congratulations. Probably, thank you. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's kind of what's going on with that, yeah. That's awesome. Um, now, what about, uh, you know, using your, you know, your, your fighting steals and stuff in movies. So do you use that as an angle or, or in plus your, well, plus your horseback, your cowboy skills, everything? I mean, most of the, co- most of the commercials I've booked, I've been a cowboy. Okay. So I, I did a commercial for Toyota and I was playing the Toyota horse whisper, you know, and no then kidding. I played, Oh, it's some funny stuff, you know? So <laughs> it's the, the cowboy stuff. I got a lot more work than fighting right. and I've done some stuff for the, for fighting as well. But, uh, that's, it's definitely one of the skills that I have above other people, right. you know, and there's, there's definitely really good cowboys out here right. as well that are acting, but there's not too many guys that worked on big, big ranches. And right. so I'm always considered for some, some good commercials or what, whatnot, you know? Yeah. And then with, uh, with fighting, I mean, sure. I remember I had a, a audition a little while ago and I took in my WBC title right? and I was like, yeah. just telling some stuff and we got a call back in a book, but there's, you know, there's a lot of really good guys there that right. are fighting as well. Right. So, but it definitely doesn't doesn't hurt, you know. And I'm I've got a good resume. Yeah, very so, cool. Yeah, awesome. So, <clears throat> the plans for the future are are stick it out in Hollywood and and, and just keep growing the acting career. And well, I just fought uh, two weeks oh, ago and I won. That's, the... that's right. Yeah. I, I forgot all about that. So yeah. go go yeah. ahead. Well, I, I had a twenty five month layoff from fighting because. Uh, I was just having a bad little bad luck getting a fight for a second. And then I had a dual world title fight scheduled a month before uh, the lockdown happened in COVID. Right. So that got scratched. And then I just stayed in shape the whole time. Even when like lockdown was happening, I was in here, I was working out of my apartment and I was staying, staying focused. And I was just like, okay, next month it's going to open up. It's going to open up next month. And I just was trying to keep a goal in mind. Right. And uh, it finally, I had a, I had a, a fight 
scheduled. I'm not going to mention the promoter or the okay. fighter. Okay. But I went to went to Wyoming, and this is a pet peeve of mine because remember earlier I said I always make weights. Right. And we got a bunch of stuff behind. I got a sponsor of mine involved with this promotion to sponsor the gloves just to try to help out with a small one because they were going to sanction a world title fight for me. I was like, this is great. Right. And I have been Wyoming a long time, so we went to Wyoming. And uh, beautiful, loved it. I love Wyoming, but yeah. the promoter, the promotion, the guy came in ten pounds overweight. Oh, which, which was like, it was almost laughable because this, uh, this guy got to the scale and he stripped down totally naked. They're holding a towel, and then when it said ten pounds over, I'm like, you think taking your underwear off is going to make that much of a difference? <laughs> we were, we were all just like, what, what's going on here? So yeah, it was it was wild. Then that 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 situation was it was it was interesting because they try to you know they would they're like you're gonna take the fight and we're like no dude you, we can't even fight for the title you know like this is yeah we didn't come here for this you know and they're like yeah it was it was interesting so that was my Wyoming experience besides that fight it was amazing but I got, got back to LA and we're like okay we're gonna figure this out and uh, got a fight booked for Arkansas got to fight for world title and. Uh, it was good. I had, I, I stayed, I, I didn't get like stop training or improving during lockdown. I feel like as an athlete, I'm peaking right now. Right. I feel like I have more power and I'm strong than I ever have been. Right. And just other things like diet. Right. And getting the proper amount of recovery. Right. I feel like I'm definitely peaking. So went to Arkansas, fought a guy and just, uh, I, it went one round in 17 seconds. I just, the game plan was just, chop his legs up like my my one coach rob comp he was known for his low kicks right and i just i wrecked his legs first round i i didn't get hit i don't think i got hit once in the first round uh he he apparently had some uh uh glute problems like he injured his glute like a year ago so maybe they didn't heal properly but his his glutes tore off in the second round on both legs apparently so Ooh. hopefully he's he's doing well but uh you know that i think the low what he would one thing i was doing is he'd go for a low kick and I'd just step back and his, his rear side of his leg was there and I'd just chop it, just uh. rip it. And uh, it was a it was a good performance. I wish if I would have known that it was only going to go for one round in 17 seconds, I would have pushed. For, but I was I was really just, okay, this is nice. I'm just going to really play the game here right? and try to make this go a little longer because I had such a layoff. I wanted to get a little more extra time. Right. But it was it was a good fight. It was just, so I had one TKO via low kicks. And uh, hopefully my phone is he'll heal up good. You know, like he he got an injury, so hopefully yeah. he's uh, recovering okay. Yeah, yeah. Is and now uh, did uh, was was that a video or do you have video? Do you have video of that fight or is it? Did, did I'm it waiting for that. I I saw some some people like taped it on their iPhone because there's a gotcha. pay per view for it, right? And I okay. saw it and I was I was very satisfied when I saw it. But the promoter said they're going to get me a rip like a, a proper tape of it so I can gotcha. post that up. So yeah. they so they did end up having because I know we talked about that uh, yeah. earlier. We talked earlier. They did end up having a pay per view. Was it on YouTube? It was a YouTube pay per view, but it was it was very last minute. Like I got it the day before the weigh ins, and I was just oh, like, okay. man. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not gonna I'm just gonna really focus here. So I said right. some people and stuff, but I was just like I, I was in fight mode where I'm like, I gotta focus. Right. 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 But yeah. they ended up they ended up getting it done. It was it was last minute, but they they made it happen. It was there and they were uh their the promotion is called Titans of Muay Thai and they were absolute pleasure to work with them. I'll definitely yeah. be working with them again. That's very cool. Very cool. Um yeah, you know, uh, with with fighting, when when before you fight, do you do you do you got like super nervous? Do you do you like to fight when you're in there? Is it all strategic? What what what's your thought process when you when you're doing that? 
You know, when I was in Wyoming, I was I was definitely have some nerves. Every fighter has nerves. Anybody right. who doesn't have fight like nerves, Mike Tyson talked about how much how many nerves he would have, or right. George St. Pierre, one of the one of the greatest right. UFC fighters in my opinion. Everyone has nerves. So I think if you don't have butterflies and nerves, then you're not taking it very seriously, or you're just you know, right. good for you. But yeah. I've always I've always get nervous for a fight. But then it's it's very interesting when I when I get my hand reps put on, I'm like, oh, I've been here many a time, and I'm right. I'm very then my then my confidence really it, it it starts to really grow. And then when I start to get the gloves on, you can kind of I remember we got a few tapes of me getting wrapped, and you can kind of see like a mental switch. I'm like, switch. okay, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I start to hit, and I'm like, oh, I, I've got a lot of power, man. You know, <laughs> like I, I definitely do. You know, I'm, I'm a smart fighter, where like I, I'm a big thinker, where I'm very technical. But that being said, I have a lot of power. Like right. I have a lot of power. Right. And it's, in, uh, it's interesting you brought up George St. Pierre because that's one of the reasons I asked that question because I just recently saw where George St. Pierre said he doesn't really like fighting. You know, mm-hmm. um, which surprised me kind of. Uh, and I don't mm-hmm. know if 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 that was taken out of context, but. Uh, and again, so that's why I asked you that. But then when you're talking about your power, something I notice about you just in your build, I mean, you have like, it seems like you have a large bone structure and like your freaking legs are like trunks, man. I mean, they're, they're huge, you know, and just massively muscular. And those things just got to be, uh, uh, you know, it's just great to have in your arsenal, uh, <laughs> especially for those leg kicks and stuff. You know? Oh, yeah, I've. I've- you know, I'm I'm a deadly low kicker, and then I've I've broken two arms in fights by kicking the arms, and I have a lot. Oh. I have like 10, 10 or eleven head kick knockouts. Oh, so my I'm God. I, I'm super flexible. I can kick I can kick a pot, you know. So yeah, that's it's a it's a big benefit, and just learning like my body's really developed, and I'm starting to calm down. I have a, I have a good amount of fights, right? But my, I'm getting to be just as strong with my punches. My I have a lot of punching power, and I have a lot of knockouts in my hands too. And yeah. with my elbows. Yeah. So it just it's starting to kind of come full circle where everything is starting to level out with each other. I'm always going to be known as like a really hard kicker because that is like, yeah, I kick really hard. Yeah. You know, when yeah. I was a kid, everybody everybody called me Little Crow Cop. He was a guy that had like, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was, yeah, he was one Cop, of my yeah. heroes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, that's badass. Yeah. Um. So what? And and on that same note, what do you think about this string of these guys of Conor McGregor? Uh, I know Anderson Silva a while back, um, and then um, I'm, his name escapes me right now. But, but all of them snapping their legs in the in these kicks, you know. Uh, yeah. Do you guys? I I don't know that I'd ever really seen that a bunch, but I, you know, does that happen a lot in Muay Thai? Or? I saw I've like I've never seen it in person in all the fights I've been to. Right. Uh, what's I'm trying to remember the other guy's name that that uh, snapped yeah. his leg too? But uh, uh, yeah, that was in a recent I, I, fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw I saw one Thai boxer get his uh or kickboxer get his leg snapped. Uh, Lloyd Van Dam's had this wrist, probably one of the ugliest ones. He just turns his leg out really hard and checks a low kick. Right. And the guy's shin wraps around it. But that's the only Ugh. one I've seen in Thai in kickboxing or Thai boxing. I'm right. I'm sure there's other ones, but right. I've never seen it. But I think a lot of these guys they like they're throwing pretty hard. You know what I mean? Like this might I what do I know? I don't know. What, I'm not a, an encyclopedia about low kicks or anything, but okay. they're whipping it so hard and just like uh, their body's so tense and they're hitting with the lower part of the shin where if you hit with right. the upper part of the shin, it's a little stronger. Right. Or if you just kind of whip it a little more, whip it and let it fall on it, it's. I think it's a little a little less likely to break. I've never, I kicked pretty darn hard the legs and I've never felt anything like it was right. going to break. Like, I've walked right. out with absolute swollen 
shins and feet, yeah. but I've never felt anything like that. Yeah. You know, not yeah. the wood. Yeah, exactly. And and you're at 34, you feel like you, you feel like you're kind of really becoming even better. You feel like you're stronger than you ever been. And you, you just feel like you're, you're I, fight would, games. I would, I would knock out the, the 30, 32 year old me easy, easy. Or I, I, I knocked me out and I also just outpoint part of it is I'm not losing on insane amounts of weight anymore. Right. That's, right. That's a big thing. I'm not losing insane amounts of weight anymore. And I'm also really, I have an amazing meal prep, uh, food sponsor. Yeah. Who is I have, that? I work with, um, trifecta. trifecta trifecta. They're the best. Yeah. yeah. They really take great care of me. And I, I also, I don't drink. Right. I like, I have a beer once in a while. Right. Uh, I don't smoke. I don't party. I really yeah. treat myself. I, I try to like be like rich, rich Franklin. Right. right. And uh, I take really good care of myself. So yeah. I'm like, if you know, not judging anybody. I'm not, you know. Right. I think if some people live a hard lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to peak. Maybe you might have peaked a lot earlier, but yeah. as an athlete, I definitely feel I hit way harder now. Right. Like my power, my power has gone up. Right. Yeah. So so you. No drinking at all. I mean, a beer occasionally. You, yeah, you know. like I, I, I'm a, I'm a two beer guy because like I drink okay. like a, a college kid. I like pound that beer. And I'm like, oh, this is great, and then right. I'm done. Right. <laughs> you know. Gotcha. You know, I'm, I'm a two beer guy, and like that's on occasion. Okay. Right. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll no maybe have like a whiskey on the rocks, but that's I have one of those. Like I have a friend that has a has a horse farm, and we'll go ride. And we'll have like a whiskey on the rocks after right. uh, after ride, but that's. That's, That's it. That's an extent. Yeah. 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 No, no bottles of Cristal at the, uh, no, at, the no. at the club till four in the morning and no, and no celebratory cigars either, huh? You're, Cause you're making me feel guilty now. Hey, got to enjoy, enjoy your stuff. You know what I mean? Like, but I, <laughs> I, I would, you know, I'd probably do, I just probably wouldn't inhale. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't inhale in cigars yeah. anyway, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the fight game, you know, mixed martial arts, uh, you know, whatever it is, karate, uh, jujitsu, uh, Muay Thai, all of them. I, I just, for me, there's, uh, you know, just, there's just no greater sport or no greater test of, uh, of, of, of man against man. You know, it's, yeah. you know, and, and you know that better than anybody, obviously, but I think that's why all of us guys, uh, us armchair guys, you know, we just love to watch it because, it, you know, we fantasize about being able to, to do it. Uh, and my wife can attest to the fact that when we're watching, you know, watching fight stuff me and my son and we're going nuts you know but oh, yeah what's interesting about that is like when you watch ufc and i mentioned that just because it's so popular and whatever but you look at you know uh, dc and, and and joe rogan and and uh you know whoever's back there with them w during the fights they get just as excited and, and flipped out oh, and yeah. nervous and awesome. you know yeah and it's you know and that's the way you know the fans are too and and so i, I just got huge respect for you you know and oh, uh, thank you yeah and i just well, i i'm I, i'm with 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 how much the combat sports, um, you know, are are so popular now too. Uh, I think it helps shine a light on all the other ones as well, you know. And 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 I just seemed like I knew more about Muay Thai, you know, years ago. Um, there was a guy, Dennis. What was his name? Dennis Alexa. I don't. Dennis Alexio. Yeah, Dennis Alexio. Yeah. yeah. He was a he was a kickboxer. He was a Kick, killer. He was a kickboxer. Killer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's when I kind of dabbled in a little bit. Back. He then. broke his shin. He broke his shin. That's he broke right. his shin against Stan the Man. Yeah, I remember that. But he yeah. came back. He came yep. back. But yeah, that was uh, that's that's one I forgot about. Yeah. He broke his shin against Dennis Alexia. I mean, uh, against uh, Stan the Man Longlinies from uh, from Australia. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he was yeah he was a killer. He was a killer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. So, uh, 
and you said you do have some horses. Do you have a horse down there in, in, in LA or just a place you oh, go yeah. to? Well, no, I have a place where I go to down here, but I still have my best ranch horse back home. Like she's a, she's a lifer. Like I sold all my other horses. Right. I would, like when I was cowboy, I'd buy and buy some colts and sell them, right. just right. train them up and just get them started and sell them. But I have one mare that, uh, she's just like an all around horse and she's been so good to me. You know, yeah. like I can't get rid of her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So she's back home. And then down here, I have a friend that, uh, they, they bought about 50 horses. They're like jumping horses. And, oh, yeah. uh, I just go there and we do some nice riding together. It's yeah. beautiful. Uh, but I actually met him doing a commercial shoot. Oh, and cool. uh, we just hit it off. So yeah, they're great people. That's awesome. Well, hey man, we're 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 going over uh, into uh, hitting, going to start hitting Joe Rogan time here. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna yes. have to we're gonna have to have you on again, man. There's a lot more I want to talk to you about, and and Definitely. I know you got a lot more stuff coming up as well. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to talk more. We'll we'll do this sometime too. Talk more about your training and your diet and just your uh, all, all that as well. But I got to ask these questions. Uh, uh, you have a favorite brand of cowboy hat? Stetson. Stetson. Uh, favorite brand of boots? That's a tough one. If I'm cowboying, it used to be Ariats. Uh-huh. But uh, if it's if I'm just in the city, like right now I'm wearing some uh, some Justins. Oh, nice. For comfort, okay. you know? Okay. Yeah. But probably Ariats. Yeah. Favorite uh, cowboy western movie? Oh, well, that's Lonesome Dove. There you go. <laughs> Lonesome Dove. And then also... One, it's 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 different, but uh, Dance with the Wolves. That's just like like that's a great yep. film. But like yeah. you know, most yeah. of yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey Charles, man, it's been awesome, awesome talking to you, man. You got a, a just a great, great story. And um, as soon as as soon as you got that uh, that uh, copy of that fight, man, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see that. And uh, also, uh, if you ever want to come out, I I uh, can't drop the date yet, but I have a fight, a world title fight lined up for end of january and it'll be in the greater la area for titans of muay thai oh, so dude. if you're able to make it down i'm um, down i i will definitely put that on my calendar because you know i'm we're in wickenburg arizona so we're only you know five hours from socal so heck yeah sounds great yeah i yeah definitely let me know when that is definitely, we, we'd, definitely. Love to, we'd love to come over there well thank you for having me on yeah you bet brother i, I appreciate it man and then uh, uh we'll be in touch Awesome. Cheers. Take care. Yep. yep. Bye-bye. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the roping pen. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs. $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same The minute we ride in To the roping pen Well, I ain't no play your speed But I give her hell He never can tell Someday I just might be We'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies. Kick back in the saddle and philosophize most of life's problems. Yeah, we're gonna solve them down at the roping pen. Yeah, we don't do it for the money. You were always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope Now 
he's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the rope and pin And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack If you can back it up Oh, but we're all friends No matter who wins Down at the rope and pin Someday I just might be We'll turn another pair of steers Tell a few more lies Drink another beer And hypothesize Most of life's problems By God we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen We'll see y'all again Next weekend Down at the roping pen down at the road